Right on. So it's great to see you this morning. Welcome again to those who are with us online. Can you, you want to go with me to the Gospel of Matthew? We're going to, take, of course, take a look at the Christmas story this morning again. And uh, so let's pray. It'll bounce around a bit this morning. We'll be a little bit in Isaiah, a little bit in Matthew, a little bit in, in Luke. And uh, so let's pray. Lord, we just thank you once again uh, for Christmas. Jesus, we just want to put you right at the center of all that happens. We want you at the center of our lives, Lord. And, um, and so, God, we want to look to your word, uh, to the written word that exalts the living word, King Jesus. And Jesus, we pray we would be drawn to you. We pray that we would discover more and more what we have in you. Uh, Lord, we love you. We ask your blessing upon our time and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 18. Check it out. It says this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But when he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Um, hey, are we okay with the heat on in here? We want the heat on today, right? Usually we flick the heat off during the message because it's noisy, but uh, I think we'll leave it on today, okay? Hey, it was, uh, I was recalling this time I was, I was in the store looking at um, some items and uh, looking at different products, trying to decide what I was going to buy, and I heard in the aisle next to me this conversation. You ever do this? You start eavesdropping in on the conversation. I'm like, okay, I can totally hear what these people are talking about. So I'm going to start reading some more labels and listen in a little more. And um, they were having this conversation about what they're going to do for Christmas. And the other one was asking, so yeah, I, I continued to pretend to look at the product and eavesdrop. And um, what I heard was this general disinterest in, in Christmas, not dislike, not, not hatred, but this sense of being detached and disinterested. And um, it was like, you know, just time off. There wasn't much going on. You know, the one person said, yeah, we decided we're not even going to do presents. And I thought, wow, this is kind of actually sad as I listened to them. And and there was just this sense of being detached. Just time off doesn't really mean anything. The true meaning of Christmas had eluded them. And uh, I thought, man, what a difference knowing Jesus makes. What a difference it makes. For someone who follows Jesus, the celebration of the Christmas season, I think, is actually like on the level of duty and obligation to us. That it's like a responsibility for us as followers of Christ, a moral responsibility to overflow with joy at the Christmas season, to express 
thanksgiving and worship because we're celebrating the birth of our Lord. When we take time to consider that the Lord of heaven in his love for his creation condescended to earth, submitted to being born of a virgin who herself was a sinner like you and I, he condescended knowing how he'd be treated in this world, knowing that he would be despised, knowing that he would be rejected, knowing that he would be, as Isaiah called him, a man of sorrows, that he would be scoffed at, that he would die a painful and shameful death at the hands of men that he had made in his own image, Um, knowing that the world would not treat him as the prophesied son of man, let alone as the son of God. When you consider those things and all that Jesus went through, it makes the, his love and the account of his birth even so much more amazing. Jesus was willing to offer himself as a ransom for the sins of men. And he came, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. He came at the eternal will of the Father, not to people who were living under grace, but to people who were living under the law, and he himself was born under the law. He didn't come to glory or into splendor. He didn't come like you would expect one who was bringing with him salvation. As we know, he was born in a stable, laid in a manger with livestock around him. I don't know, sheep and chickens and donkeys and cows were his companions in the delivery room. And you have to think to yourself when you read the Christmas story, what kind of love is this? Who is this? To stoop so low, how wonderful is this love? What is its height? What is its depth? What is its width that the Son of God should come into this world to set us free from sin and from death and from the devil? We don't even know from the, from the birth account who was there to help Mary with the delivery of baby Jesus. But we know this from the Christmas story. He came to deliver us. He was cursed for our sake. He died for our sin to bring us to God. He was put to death in his body. By his blood, he cleansed us. Cleansed us from the guilt of shame and the the punishment of sin. Our Our imperfections covered by his perfections. And because of him, because we are identified with him, we have received grace and mercy, and the Word of God says we can approach the throne of God in our time of need. Jesus mediates on our behalf with His Father. Where there was bondage, Jesus broke the chains. Where there is shame, Jesus brings honor. Where there is guilt, Jesus makes us innocent. Where there is conviction, Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has declared us faultless. Isn't that amazing? I, I was thinking like New Year's around the corner for us, and I'm, I'm not one who makes uh, New Year's resolutions, but I think I'm going to this year, the way I felt this morning when I woke up after all that food. I'm like, okay, it's time to drop some pounds here. But you know, I'm not, I'm not one who makes New Year's resolutions because, a perf- uh, to be honest, like when I make those kind of intentions, I'm not very good at following through with them. You can have really good intentions and not follow through. That's the whole thing that I don't like about New Year's resolutions. But when Jesus was born, Jesus came with good intentions. And listen, church, he didn't fail to follow through. He didn't 
failed to deliver on any one of them because he is very good of very good and very God of very God. What I'm saying is this, at Christmas, as God's people, we have very good reason to celebrate, to sing, my soul magnifies the Lord, and to say, joy to the world. Church, we have a reason to celebrate because the birth of Jesus is awesome. And you don't always realize that. Like, you know, the the Christmas story, you can kind of get that little bit of a daze about it over the years. You don't really recognize its importance or its value. Maybe the first time you hear one hears of the birth of Jesus, you don't think much of it. You know, when Joseph first learned of it, he certainly didn't. He didn't celebrate. (laughs) He didn't say, oh, right on, Mary, my betrothed, is having a baby. That was not his reaction when he found out she was pregnant. That the love of his life was pregnant with the child, and the child was not his, and we can only try to imagine imagine the, the level of disappointment, but Joseph was a man who truly loved that girl, and so as we just read, he decided to do this, that he would divorce her quietly. He wasn't willing to put her to shame, so he just wanted to just quietly end things. And as he considered these things, uh, just like his namesake before him, Joseph, from the book of Genesis, he had a dream. The Lord spoke to him in dreams. And it says this again from this text, the Lord said to him, or in the dream, the angel said to him, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, what's interesting about that when you read that is that Joseph is addressed as the son of David. The Lord says to him, Joseph, son of David. But when you read the genealogy of Joseph, you see this, that Joseph isn't the son of David. That's not his namesake. There's another commonality between Joseph from the New Testament and Joseph from the book of Genesis. They both had a father by the same name, Jacob. Joseph was the son of Jacob, not the son of David. And the address, son of David, was to alert him, to wake him up to something of particular significance in this message. Son of David is a reference to Joseph's family line his legal lineage to the throne of David. And the angel said to him, son of David, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. From the Spirit, right. We all know that's where babies come from, right? (laughs) How do you explain that? That is not the realm of the natural. From my understanding of biology, that's not how things go down. Explain this. That which is conceived is from the Holy Spirit. Well, here's my explanation. The angel told Joseph something that was supernatural, mysterious, and miraculous. This pregnancy was the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit whom the book of Genesis tells us that in the beginning, when the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep, the Word of God tells us that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters to affect the creation of the universe. He was the active, the Holy Spirit, the active agent 
in the spoken word of God, which resulted in the creation of the universe as the Lord spoke. And that same Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit hovered over the darkness of Mary's virgin womb, and that which was conceived in her was from the Holy Spirit. That is supernatural. That is mysterious. That is a miraculous work of the Spirit of God. I'd I'd say this, supernatural, because obviously Mary's a virgin. Her pregnancy could only be attributed to some force beyond scientific understanding or the laws of nature or a manifestation that was supernatural in origin. You know, what the, you know what the angel didn't say to Joseph? Trust the science, Joseph. <laughs> said, no, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It's very mysterious because it was difficult or impossible to understand explaining that a virgin would conceive. That's mysterious. It's miraculous because it was an extraordinary and and welcome event that could not be explained by natural law, could not be explained by scientific laws. It had to be attributed to the divine activity of the Lord God himself. An extraordinary conception that would bring very welcome and wonderful consequences. This baby, this baby whom they would name Jesus, would save his people from their sins, and he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. This is what Joseph was told. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah was on the scene and he was prophesying And he prophesied this, that the virgin would conceive and bear a son whom would be called Emmanuel, God with us. Check this out. It'll be on the screen here. I actually don't have it in my notes. I'm going to read off the screen. Isaiah 7, 14. It says this. It's coming up. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The Lord, this was a word that Isaiah spoke to King Ahaz. The Lord sent Isaiah to Ahaz. He was the king of Judah. He was not a king who walked in the ways of the Lord. He had a father who was a very godly father, but Ahaz himself was a very, very wicked king. Ahaz wandered so far from the Lord that he was one of the kings who would sacrifice his own children to pagan gods in fires. During his reign, uh, the Syrians joined together in league with a bunch of other nations, and they came to wage war against the city of Jerusalem. And the accounting of our Bible tells us this, that when the enemy came, the the heart of Ahaz was so shaken that he physically was trembling, that him and the the children of, of Judah, the people of Israel, shook as the trees shake with the forest, in the forest, as they shake with the wind. And the Lord told Ahaz through uh, the prophet Isaiah, Ahaz, be careful and be quiet. He told him, you be, you be cautious before me and you watch what you say. Don't let your 
heart be faint before this enemy because their plans shall not come to pass. It's interesting. It's like Isaiah said to him, Ahaz, stop talking about the problem and start trusting the Lord. In fact, he said this, Isaiah 7, 9. I think it's going to be on the screen here. If you're not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. And God promised, I'm going to deliver you. And now the king of Judah, King Ahaz, had to believe the Lord. And if he would not believe, if he will not believe, well then, his belief or his lack thereof was not going to affect the outcome for what was going to happen in Jerusalem. God had already decreed that the enemy was not going to succeed, but belief or lack thereof, though it wouldn't affect the outcome for the children of Judah, it was going to affect the outcome for the life of Ahaz and his reign as king. So the Lord said to him, Ahaz, if you're not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. It means this. The stability of Ahaz's life depended upon him trusting the promises of God. Stability came from trusting the promises. And as the story turns out, when you read it in the Old Testament, Ahaz did not believe. He did not trust the promise of God. Isaiah went so far as to invite him. Ahaz, you can ask the Lord for a sign. You can ask him for a sign as high as the heavens above or the earth beneath. Whatever you want, you ask the Lord for the sign and the Lord will give you a sign that he is going to fulfill his word. God was challenging Ahaz to believe, challenging him to experience the blessing of God. Ask me for a sign. Ask me for a basis in which you can trust me, the Lord said. But Ahaz said this. He's famous for it. He said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. When you read that in your Bible, in in Isaiah chapter 7, it almost sounds spiritual. It almost sounds like, I don't know, when Jesus was getting tempted by the devil and Jesus said to the devil, Matthew 4, 7, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. It's like Ahaz sounds spiritual when he says this. But his heart is very different from the heart of Jesus when Jesus said that. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Ahaz was refusing to believe the Lord. He was refusing to believe the Lord because when the sign was fulfilled, he said, I won't ask for a sign because if he asked for a sign and the Lord gave him a sign, he was going to be obligated to believe. He didn't want to believe. The truth was he did not want to believe. So Ahaz rejected the free and gracious gift of a sign from God, a sign that would, God would save his people. He answered, I will not. You know, it makes me think this. Ahaz loved darkness rather than light. So Isaiah prophesied and he said this, okay, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The Lord himself will declare his intention to save his people. It was a sign that looked beyond the enemy's threat against the city of Jerusalem that looked beyond Ahaz's day, it was a sign that would point to the ultimate rescue plan of God to save all all his people from their ultimate enemy's sin. And Isaiah said this, again, Isaiah 7.14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son 
and shall call his name Emmanuel. It's, it's the greatest of honors, I would say, that a human being can receive when the king of kings says to them, will you trust me? Will you trust my promises to you? And the tragedy was Ahaz's refusal to believe. Spurgeon said this, actually. I like this. Did I not hear someone say, Ah, sir, I've been trying to believe for years. Terrible words. They make the case still worse. Imagine that after I had made a statement, a man should declare that he did not believe me. In fact, he could not believe me, though he would like to do so. I should feel aggrieved, certainly. But it would make matters worse if he added, In fact, I've been trying to believe for years in you, and I cannot. What does he mean by that? What can he mean but that I am incorrigibly false and such a confirmed liar that though he would like to give me some credit, he cannot do it. With all the effort he can make in my favor, he finds it quite beyond his power to believe me. Now a man who says, I've been trying to believe in God, in reality says that with regard to the Most High. It's good words. To say of the Lord as Ahaz did, I will not ask for a sign, is to say, I cannot believe. I will not believe. And the Lord said to Ahaz, Ahaz, the stability of your life depends on you believing in me. The stability of your life depends upon you believing in the promises of God. If you won't be firm in faith, you won't be firm anywhere. And the sign that God promised to give was indicating that He would fulfill His word, that He would save His people, that that which was to be conceived in the virgin's womb would be of the Holy Spirit. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Think about Ahaz. Ahaz rejected the free and gracious gift of God, blinded by power, blinded by position, by idolatry, blinded by the lie of sin. Now Luke chapter 1 tells us a story of someone else who had to trust the promise of God. In the accounting of Christ's birth. It's a young girl, Mary. And the Bible says this, that, that the angel Gabriel came to her to Galilee in the town of Nazareth to a virgin. She was betrothed to be married to a man named Joseph. Her, her name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. He said to her as we sang this morning, don't be afraid. You've found favor with God. I want to read to you from Luke chapter 1. It's going to be on your screen, verse 31. It says this. This is the words of Gabriel. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, 
How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. When I read that, the key question of Mary's response is this. She said, how can this be? I'm a virgin. And he said, trust the science. No. Again, you know, the angel tells her two things. Two things. Firstly, he says this. Mary, nothing is impossible with God. The Lord is God. And because nothing is impossible for him, he functions in the supernatural, the mysterious, the miraculous. That is normal for the Lord our God. Amen? Nothing is impossible with him. And then the angel said, the Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And Mary, the text tells us this, believe God. As opposed to Ahaz. He said, I will not. I won't ask for a sign. Mary did this. She said, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In comparison to Ahaz, Mary is an incredible contrast. She believed. She trusted the promise of God. She had faith. It made her stable everywhere in her life. Because the stability of your life depends upon believing in the promise of God. Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. It makes me think in the scripture of someone else who had an interaction with Jesus. In John chapter 3, we'll read from it in a moment here. A man who was called a Pharisee, Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night. He said, teacher, we know you come from God. Nobody could do the signs that you do unless they came from God. And Jesus and Nicodemus had this interaction. Check it out. John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, this sounds like Mary, how could this be? How can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony if I told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Jesus told Nicodemus this. 
If you're going to see the kingdom of God, you're going to have to be born again. Speaking of a, we know this, a spiritual birth. Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. Just just as the Holy Spirit was active in creation and brought forth life at the Word of God in the very beginning, book of Genesis, just as the Holy Spirit overshadowed the womb of Mary and Emmanuel was conceived in that virgin womb, so the Holy Spirit must work in your life mysteriously, supernaturally, miraculously, You must be born again, Jesus said. And the key question of Nicodemus was this. How could this be? How can these things be? And Jesus said to him, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand this? The Holy Spirit, who in the beginning when the earth was without form and void, And darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the faces of the water. He effected creation. He brought it forth as the word was spoken. He brought forth life. That same Spirit, that same Spirit that hovered over the darkness of Mary's womb and that which was conceived in her was of the Spirit That same supernatural, mysterious, miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, it has to happen in you. Just like that which was conceived in Mary, we need the Spirit of God to form Christ in us. Christ Jesus, the Christmas story tells us this, that He was conceived in the flesh. He was conceived in the flesh so that He might be conceived in you. And bring you life, eternal and abundant. And like Mary, these are good questions to say, how can these things be? Like Nicodemus to say, how will this be? The answer is this, church. It's a work of the Spirit. It's a work of the Spirit that's available to us because Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Came and gave His life. He condescended. He submitted to being born of a virgin. He was cursed for our sake, died for our sin. To bring us to God, he was put to death in his body, raised from the dead, and by his blood, he cleansed us from the guilt and the power of sin and our shame. And because he loves us, he has made this eternal life available. We can ask, how can these things be? You know the beauty of the Christmas story? And the story of God's work in your life, it's a heavenly work. It's a work of the Spirit. It's like a virgin conceiving. It's impossible, but without the work of God, it's supernatural, it's mysterious, it's miraculous, and it's to be received and believed and enjoyed and rejoiced. That's why we love Christmas, right? That's why we love Christmas. That's why we believe Christmas is a time to celebrate. It's because of Jesus and because of what he's done in our hearts, in our lives, because of 
that miraculous story 2,000 years ago. And we rejoice in that. Our soul magnifies the Lord.